Thank you very much, Tom. Appreciated that uh, music. Turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. Let's be in prayer for Miss Dunlop, who's lost her brother this morning. Wally has gone to be with Christ. You know, she's been having prayer for him, and he's gone to be with the Lord. So pray for Miss Dunlop as she makes her way to Ontario and for the family, and who have been a great uh, encouragement to all of us over the years. Mr. Dunlop, Miss Dunlop's brother, was uh, speaking at our staff retreat, challenged our hearts, and ministered from the Word of God. And so pray for Miss Dunlop as she goes up there at this time. Let's look at the Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm beginning to read at verse 24. Story of young Samuel born into a dysfunctional home. Elkanah had two wives. And uh, one of those wives, in spite of the fact that they were living at the time of the judges, a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, a time when leadership had increased outwardly to, as the judges, as you progress through the judges, you'll discover that uh, probably the, one of the most well-known judges is Samson, who was physically strong and did a lot of feats that people could talk about, and uh, yet struggled in his own life morally. And uh, Samson, of course, at the end of his life, recognizing and coming to where all people who do know the Lord will have to come to, knowing that uh, his only strength was in God, and uh, in, you know, his dying request even though that man had kept the enemy in fear most of his life, he dies asking God to avenge his eyes and this once answer his prayer for defeat over the enemies. But he died a very weak man spiritually. And Samson uh, is, marks what happened throughout the book of Judges. And into this scene, at a time when Israel was at an all-time low, they had a backslidden high priest a man who could not and did not restrain his family uh, from, from uh, disobeying God and abusing the priesthood. And uh, yet God is going to allow this man at the end of his life an opportunity to uh, minister in a powerful way and direct a young man to uh, serve God. But it all starts in this dysfunctional home. But it starts with a praying mother and I want to speak to you this morning on one word, and it's the word grow. And it's found here in Second Samuel. And uh, I want to just draw your attention to these words. Uh, as you may or may not know the story, um, Samson's mother, Hannah, determines and prays in that home that uh, God will use her little boy that uh, she prays for a child, first of all, because she has been the subject of ridicule by Elkanah's other wife, because she was barren. And she prays, prays so intensely that when she comes into the temple, the old priest Eli sees her. He's in his 90s, but he sees this lady, and uh, he sees her praying intensely, 
And he can't believe that anybody's in the temple praying that intensely, and he assumes she's drunk and makes that assumption. Shows you the spiritual tides were low. And uh, he approaches her as that. And uh, she's not drunk. She's praying. And she's asking God that her son can be used for his honor and his glory. And the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's backtrack there. Let me read it to you. Verse 22, But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah her husband said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until they have weaned him, until thou hast weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. It's the lady that he thought was drunk. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, also I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he liveth. He shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. And then we come and we discover this three-year-old boy is placed in the temple by his mother to serve under a backslidden priest at a time when there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And because of a godly praying mother who set the course of life for her son under the direction of God, This young boy was going to make an impact upon society out of all proportion to who he was, the situation from which he came, and he was going to bring the Word of God to a nation whose culture had forgotten God. Powerful story. I'm preaching on one word this morning, because when we read about this boy, what could ever become of a boy whose mother set the course for his life through her prayers. I'll tell you, young people, we're making a big mistake today. Horrible mistake. And the horrible mistake is this, we're setting our own agendas. We're determined that we're going to do it our way. Our favorite song is, I did it my way. Barna tells us in the most recent poll published in the Evangelical Baptist Church in their most recent publication... 70% of pastors interviewed believe their congregants rate with their relationship with God as a top priority. But only 15% of their congregation, when interviewed, said that God was their top priority. Pastors thought they were. People said not the way, not the truth. 15% of believers think that God expects people to become holy. 15% of the people who have been saved by God and whom Peter calls a holy nation. 
A holy people for God. Only 15% of professing evangelical Christians would say, God, expect me to live a life of holiness. <laughs> Pastors scored poorly when assessing their congregations. Spiritual health. Barna said the average pastor said that he measured spiritual health by church attendance and first-time commitment to Christ, but had no understanding of where the people that they were pastoring had developed in their life. <laughs> Unbelievable. Evangelism is not a priority in most churches. 61% of the pastors interviewed said they have few close personal friends. Risk-taking drops off when pastors reach 20 or more years of service. And that's the last thing I want to be. When I stepped in the classroom this morning, I'm aware I don't want to step in the classroom hanging on to the end. Christ is too valuable. Young people are too rich a treasure. For us to be placating and pandering after the pleasures of the age and the temptations of this world instead of honoring Christ. 81% of self-identified Christians believe that spiritual health is equal to following rules. One out of ten pastors believe that the church itself is a barrier to spiritual growth. But none of the churchgoers agreed with that statement. <laughs> These are weird studies. The reality that most churches, church adults, most churched adults, look and act exactly the same as unchurched adults is not a major concern to most churches. And Barna's conclusion, and this is what strikes me, pastors evaluate spiritual health from an institutional perspective. That is, are people involved in keeping the system going while people are unaware of their unmet need to have a deeper and more meaningful relationship with God? The challenge to church leaders is to stop pandering to popularity and to set the bar higher. People only live up to the expectations set for them. As things stand now, we have become content with placating sinners and filling auditoriums as the marks of spiritual health. Now, I haven't come to lay all this at your feet, but when I have been reading in my devotions from the book of Samuel, and I read about this young boy at three years of age from a dysfunctional home with an awful, powerful, praying mother who prayed him into the service of the Lord. <laughs> and I hear so many today saying, I want to be here on my own will, my own accord. That's good, and, and I hope that would be true. But then I read about this boy, and I read about this three-year-old three whose life was set before him. And what you read in chapter 2 is this. Verse 12, the sons of the priests, they knew not the Lord. But in verse 18, you read this. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child. Verse 20. Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord, give the seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived, bare three sons, two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Notice verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on 
and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. We will read later on, again concerning Samuel, that this young man, this prophet of God, we read concerning him in verse 21 of chapter 3, that this young man, well, let's pick it up, chapter 3, verse 1, the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. That means there was no widespread understanding of the word of God amongst the people of God, who had had judges from God all those years. No widespread understanding of what God wanted them to do. And we read this. It says this, that young Samuel hears the voice of God, and you know the story. And smart Eli, in this case, tells him to go back. He said, and you speak and you listen. And he goes back, and he says in verse 16, Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here am I. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God, do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And God told Samuel that he is going to take the kingdom away and that the priesthood was going to be put out. And it was a sad day. But then the Bible says, verse 18, And Samuel told him every wit and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good. And Samuel grew. There it is again. He grew. And the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. A young boy brings a word from God to a nation that had no widespread understanding of the word of God. And I would suggest to you that this young boy was a young boy, was a product of a mother who prayed for him and a mother who put him into the Lord's work. And I would suggest to you that the key word grow, this young boy began in very adverse circumstances, circumstances over which he had no control, and he cooperates with God, with his mother's prayers. He cooperates with those who are in authority over him, Eli. And like David, whom the Bible says behaved himself wisely, And everywhere Saul sent him, David went. Wow. But he knew who was controlling the affairs. It was God. And I want to suggest to you, if these men could serve God and touch a nation and change the course of a nation with these adverse circumstances, how much more can 62 students who have come to a place where we trust every one of us is seeking to find God's good and perfect will for our lives and do it, how much could be accomplished to change things? We've got young people to understand God wants you to grow. You're here to grow. You're here to mature. God's interested in growth. He was interested in the growth and development of his son. Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and man. He grew intellectually. He grew spiritually. He grew physically. He grew socially. 
His life was marked by growth. The Son of God saw it fit to pay attention to those things. Now, he was God, and we know that. But God was interested enough to record Samuel's growth and refer to it several times in a culture of entitlement that thinks I had, nobody has the right to tell me what to do, where to go, how to spend my life. Paul was interested in growth. He said to the Ephesian elders, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance amongst all them which are sanctified. Peter wants believers to grow. Peter says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I believe from studying the life of Samuel from a biblical perspective, It's God's presence that makes the difference between success and failure. Whatever else you become in life, whatever else you do, wherever else you go on for education and further education, if that's the way God should lead, I dare say that I'm speaking to some young man, some young woman in this congregation this morning, and you are here and you may be here directly as a result of a godly mother's prayers. You see, Barna said that it's the institutionalization of people that's killing us. But think about this mother's prayers. I was preparing this, and I I had been under a lot of study, pressure, physical problems, mental problems, spiritual problems. Ever had those days? And I decided to just get alone and read a good book. And I do make it a point to spend time every day with the Lord. And I got away and I'd been thinking and reading through the Old Testament. And I stopped at Samuel's life and saw how this young boy, contrary to everything that we hear is so important and makes such an impact on us, was used of God to turn around the nation while everybody else was looking at judges and leaders and As Billy Graham said in 1956 when he went to speak to the youth in New York City, we've raised a generation of towering intellects and people who want their bodies to be as perfect as Atlas, but whose souls have shriveled. And they canceled Madison Square Garden and Billy Graham was preaching to 22,000 people and he'd done it every night for several weeks. And they had to go into a Yankee Stadium And he went into Yankee Stadium to address the youth. Visiting that night was the Vice President of the United States, at that time Richard Nixon. And Nixon came as a representative from President Eisenhower. And they expected a very small crowd in Yankee Stadium. And when they stepped out onto the grass, there was 100,000 people in Yankee Stadium in the place that Babe Ruth built. (laughs) And it had never seen that many people. And as they stepped out, Richard Nixon looked at Billy Graham and he said, Billy, you have done some marvelous thing in filling this place. And Billy Graham looked back at him and he said, Mr. Vice President, I couldn't fill this place. God did it. And 2,500 people made profession of faith that night. And those who followed the life and 
knew Mr. Graham would say the thing that marked his life was humility and understanding that God is the one that determines success and failure. So I just picked a book to read, and it wasn't about Billy Graham, but it was a book that I'd gotten from Mrs. Kerr. Mrs. Kerr had graciously allowed us to various staff members to look at some of the books her husband, Mr. Kerr, had had. And gladly, this was a book given to him by Adeline Clark. She was the wife of the founder, uh, one of the founders of New Brunswick Bible Institute, chairman of the board, and the president, they called him in those days, of the board of directors, and the pianist at the church when I first started preaching. And the book was called Ordained of the Lord by, it's a story of Harry Ironside. And interestingly enough, discovered that Dr. Ironside really was a victim of his mother's prayers. You see, Ironside as a boy got tired of listening to his mother pray. Here's one of her prayers. Father, save my boy early. Keep him from ever desiring anything else than to live for you. Make him a street preacher like his father. Oh, Father, make him willing to be kicked, cuffed, to suffer shame or anything else for Jesus' sake. Harry said, My, I heard my mom pray, and he said, I said, she's really putting it on thick now, and I don't appreciate it very much. You have to understand, his father lived in the city I was born in and grew up in, and his father was known as the eternity preacher. He would stand on the street corners and Ask everybody that came by, where are you going to spend eternity? Young Harry kicked against the traces, went out to California. And out in California, the Lord got a hold of him. And one of the men that his mother loved to have come to her house, because he always witnessed to Harry, told Harry out in California where he was kicking over the traces, she said, Harry, she said, Dr. Wood is coming to our house tonight, to which Harry said, oh, joy, oh, delight. (laughs) Because he knew what would happen. And Dr. Wood challenged him. And Dr. Ironside gave his heart to Christ. And he joined the Salvation Army. And in the Salvation Army, struggled with trying to live holy. And he has a book called Holiness, the True and False. I would recommend you read it. And it's it's one of the best books written on that subject. And where he was in the group he was with, godly people, but trying to achieve salvation and achieve sanctification, perfect sanctification, getting to the place where you never sinned and ending up always in two camps. Those who were hypocrites and lived like they never had any sin and those who were on the verge of nervous breakdowns because they were trying to suppress the flesh and live for God in the power of the flesh instead of relying upon the word of God and studying line upon line, precept upon precept. And Dr. Ironside came on the verge of a breakdown as a young man. He then got into another group called the Brethren. Began to study the Word of God there. But as he began to study, the one thing he learned amongst those people was to study the Scriptures. And as he began to read the Scriptures, and he found the power of the Scriptures, he began to share the Scriptures. And God began to bless his ministry. And I'm not here to tell you the whole story of Dr. Ironside, but it does relate to us at MBBI. Out across the way is what's called the maintenance center. 
Is that what you call it? At one time it was called what? Anybody know here? The tabernacle. And why it was called the tabernacle? Because it was raised in one day because Dr. Ironside was near the end of his ministry. By this time, he was a world-known figure. As a preacher and teaching the Word of God, he would stand and expound the Word of God. He became the pastor at Moody Church in Chicago. Very interesting because Dr. Ironside climbed up one day as a young boy in the rafters at the church in Chicago and looked down at the preacher that night who was D.L. Moody, the American evangelist, and he listened to him in the rafters. Little did he know he would step one day into the pulpit at the Moody Church in Chicago and be their pastor. And for 14 years, listen, young people, the little boy who was a victim of his mother's prayers and eventually became a preacher and shared Christ with anybody that he came in contact with for 14 years, Sunday morning, Sunday night, when he was in his own pulpit, somebody was saved every service with the exception of two services in 14 years. The man who did not have a degree, and I'm not putting that down, but the, young, the man who did not have a degree wrote scores of books and was given a degree in literature from a prestigious university because he had more books published than any other preacher in America at that time. And God was using him to preach to 4,000 people morning, and his evening crowd did not diminish until later in his ministry. But God was using that man in a way that few preachers were being used simply because he was a man empowered by the Spirit of God who took the Word of God and preached the Word of God and believed in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here he's near the end of his ministry, and he's coming to NBBI. The men heard, folks who knew the school began to make plans to be here, but they had no building to house the crowds. And so the tabernacle was erected and built. All those laminated arches that you've seen there with tons of nails were put out, laid on the ground, and as one of the neighbors said, I went to Woodstock in the morning and nothing was there except the stuff on the ground. I came back that night and a new building was there. And that became a place where many, many people, through the preaching of various individuals, testimonies of grads of this school, made decisions to serve God and to go on and follow God and allow God to demonstrate his power in their lives and the rest is the story of various NBBI grads that God spoke to in these days. And it was in that tabernacle that I visited from the city of Toronto. And I'll never forget the simplicity of the gospel that was preached and the graciousness of the men that came and introduced themselves to me. And I decided I was coming to this place. I sensed the power of God and the spirit of God. And in those early days, challenged by the likes of Elwin Davies to give my life totally to Jesus Christ and serve him. That's a choice that we made, a choice that others in our class made. It was the class in which the Bookers also were in that class, several others. But let me just say this. We were challenged, and we were challenged to trust Jesus Christ and respond like Isaiah, here am I, send me. 
And it began for us a life of growth in the Word of God. Oswald Chambers says, Our work as his disciples is to disciple lives until they are wholly yielded to God. One life devoted to God is of more value to God than 100 simply awakened by the Spirit. The scriptural lessons I learned from this quickly. Samuel's growth was born through the prayers of a godly mother. Her prayer overcame the adversity in the home. Her prayers were misunderstood by carnal priests. Her prayers were heard in heaven. Cornelius' prayers were heard in heaven even before he was saved and God sent him an angel and sent him a messenger, but the angel is not what saved him. He said, there's going to come a man who will give you the words that will provide eternal life. Peter came, Acts 11:14, and he told Cornelius the words whereby he would be saved. Your growth will be dependent upon the word of God. Somebody's salvation whom you know will be dependent upon you as a messenger of God, coming and sharing the word of God. 1 Samuel 1.27 says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. She put feet to her prayers by offering her son to a lifetime of service for the Lord. No selfishness in her prayer. Samuel seemed to have the sense right from the start that his life was going to be lived for heaven and a powerful effect upon earth. He was going to live with eternity's values in view. In Samuel 2, verses 1 to 11, it's a song of praise and thanksgiving from Hannah for Samuel. And most mothers would be singing because they had a son that they could keep. But Hannah, when she got her first son, after all the opposition and the barrenness of years, said she was thankful that she had a son to give to the Lord. It's a song born of devotion, not bargaining with God. Young people, listen. God will use any individual in this chapel this morning. If you will get before him and say, Lord, I have ideas and plans. Yes, my parents have ideas and plans. But Lord, I'm not going to be institutionalized and forced to go somewhere I don't want to go. Do what I don't want to do. But Lord, neither do I want to set myself up as an authority and become what I want to become. Lord, you know, you knew that little boy and you were looking at babies while everybody else was looking at the culture and trying to figure out how to deal with it. He said you were looking at babies and he had a mother that had that heartbeat for him. And I thank God for a mother the same way. And some of you are here. Anybody here because somebody prayed for you and has been praying for you for years? Anybody sense that? Yeah, I can see it. Then the word is this. Don't let those prayers go to waste. And certainly you have an opportunity here to get to know the God that the person that prayed for you knew. And what a thing can happen out of this. Samuel grew in spite of the culture, in spite of mom setting an agenda for him in the word of God. How did God keep Samuel clean in the midst of such corruption? Parental love, parental attention to spiritual training. And the challenge of our age is don't let our souls shrivel intellectually by not giving the Word of God its priority. He grew and ministered for the Lord. He triumphed over the culture because of his faith and the faith of his parents in the Word of God. 
the submission of this young man to the word of God and God's establishment upon his life, the whole course of the nation was changed. Souls are shriveled emotionally today because they're not passionate about the word of God. He got his call to singular service from God, 1 Samuel 7. And see his advice to Saul about not listening to the call of God. Souls are shriveled volitionally when they are not determined to do what the Bible says they must do, no matter how close the relationship, no matter how high profile the person they are dealing with, nor how things appear to them. See the matter of Samuel's sins and see him standing before the public and saying, listen, my sons have taken bribes, but you find nothing in my hands. That took courage for Samuel. And you know the people responded, why? Because Samuel's faith was not in his ability to produce perfection. His faith was in the God whom his mother had lent him to and committed him to. And this morning, it's not a matter of how you failed. It's not a matter of who you're associated with. It is a matter of this, that God, you have been set apart, prayed for, given to God. You've made a choice to come to a place where God is honored. Now let God help you grow. Father, we thank thee. Praise thee for this man. Thank thee for the encouragement it should be to all. A man who was contrary to his times would not be shaken at any point when the king, King Saul, failed to hold to the word of God. Samuel had to step in and had to deal with the Amalekites, the Agates. Lord, when it came time to choose David, Samuel made a mistake. He acted in the flesh. He looked and he said that Eliab was the one. And God had to say, no, no, Samuel. But boy, this man prayed. And he even prayed for King Saul, the Bible says, grieved over him. And God had to say, don't grieve anymore, Samuel. And he had to pray when the people rejected God as their king. And God said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. Dear God, help us to learn the lessons of this man's growth. And let us not walk around sulking by who's not for us, exalted pride by who's for us. But if God be for us, who can be against us? Thank you for these young people, for each one. Lord, I pray there'll be some young man, some young woman will get alone today somewhere on this campus and say, by God's grace, I'm going to be the man that God wants me to be in spite of all the things that I think would rule me out. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.